0: attention attention all personnel it's mashcast hello and welcome to mashcast the show that analyzes and celebrates episode by episode the greatest tv series of all time mash which shared on cbs from 1972 to 1983. proud member of the fire and water podcast network i'm your host general robert iron guts kelly and joining us this week in the vip tent is lieutenant lisa pomegranate hi lisa hi rob
1: thanks so much for having me
0: thank you so much for being here now Anyone who listened to the show last season, uh, I'm presuming that's most of you, um, uh, was familiar with the fact that a couple times across uh, that season, I really got excited talking about this thing called Mash Blur. So Lisa, you are a <laughs> member of that august tribunal. Uh, why don't you explain <laughs> to people what Mash Blur is for anyone who missed those episodes where I, I went on and on about it.
1: Sure. So, um, so Mash Blur is the Mash fandom on Tumblr. And Tumblr is a uh, a blogging website. Um, and there's been a MASH fandom on there for probably a really long time ever since the the website launched. But it was something about the combination of the pandemic making people, you know, stay inside and watch a lot more TV and things like that. Um Plus, I think MASH, you know, got added to streaming around um, summer 2020 or something that something like that. So I think that's what is referred to on MASH blur now as Hot mash summer. Now this was before <laughs> my <laughs> this was before my time, so I'm like a relative newbie to mash blur, um, and so I have to give credit to all the amazing artists and. And, uh, fan creators on Mash Blur who have made it what it is today. That includes the people before Hot Mash Summer and the people who came during and after. Like, it's, it's a really creative and cool place where people like to talk about the show. It's a lot of young people. Um, I'm probably one of the older people because I'm in my thirties, but there's a lot. Oh. Of young okay.
0: <laughs> I'll speak up.
1: <laughs> no, no, I, I know. Trust me. I, I, <laughs> it's one of those things where, it's a lot of young 20-somethings and, you know, 30-somethings who are creating all this incredible content based on a show that's from 50 years ago. And mm-hmm. it's really cool to see. And it's just been uh, an amazing thing to be part of for the past year or so.
0: Yeah, I, as I said in, on those previous episodes, it really was a miracle to me to find this treasure trove of fans, all almost all of whom are younger than the show has been off the air. I mean, not, not only younger than the show at its inception, but younger than the show since it's been, you know, the show's been off the air for now 40 years. Yeah. Uh, no, 2023. 20, we're talking 40 years. And that's, you know, most of the people are, you know, I, I we're not like polling everybody, but it's safe to bet <laughs> that most of the Mash Blood regulars are much younger than that. And I just thought it was amazing. Cause as I've said, uh, you know, I, all five seasons of this show, I, mean, I think Mash is a ongoing, creative document it's not just an old tv show i mean it is that and i love it but i think it has a lot to say about where we're living in 2023 and the only way mash will ever survive will be if younger people discover it and find it take it to heart in their own way and and discover things in it that i certainly would never see couldn't ne- probably never would able to be able to see and that's how it's going to go on forever and it's not just going to be a show that like a lot of million other TV shows are just forgotten. You know, they're just, they're not streaming anywhere. They're not, You nobody cares about them. They're just gone. MASH will continue to live on. And I just like, and I thought it was just an amazingly charming place. And so I spent a little bit of time there. I will admit I find Tumblr baffling as an, <laughs> as, as an old enough. person. I find Tumblr just using <laughs> Tumblr to be like, nothing makes me feel older than going on a social media site that I don't know how to navigate because then I saw all of a sudden become my in-laws asking me how to stream content. You know what I mean? I just feel so yeah. Old. So I use it to the best of my abilities. It's, but that it's is all about
1: it's all about who you follow. You have to search out and follow the right people. Mm-hmm. So if you like people who make the kind of content you want to see, you just follow those people, and there you go.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like a bunch of big bulletin boards, kind of. It's yeah, really, yeah. you know, it, it's a way. It's like walking through a hallway and just looking at. Oh, this is what this you know, here's everybody with their little space. Oh, here's what they do with it. They they post a uh, gifs of Mike of BJ with cartoon hearts over his eyes. You know, yeah. like that's <laughs> they Do that, and this yeah. person posts pictures of Klinger saying, you know, the my first drag queen. You know, I mean, it's all that. Yes. That's exactly what it is. So yeah, it's um, great. Yeah, and so of course I was really excited to be able to. Have some people from MASH Player on the show. You will be the first of a few across this season. So I'm really excited to talk to you again. We're here to talk about the um, season six episode. Of course, it's episode three, Last Laugh. It originally aired on October 4th, 1977. But since this is your first time on the show, Lisa, I have to ask you, how, you know, how did you become a fan of MASH in the first place?
1: So it was kind of a combination of being on Tumblr, you know, before I was part of MASH Blur. I've been on that website for like a decade ever since kind of live journal um, stopped being a thing. Wow. I've been in fandom for a long time. Um, and it's it's one of those things where I, you know, it, it, it's one of the last places on the internet where you can kind of share sort of creative things without being bombarded with ads and like curated mm. content and stuff like that. So I was following people who are MASH fans. Um, one of my longtime fandom friends has been into MASH since the early 2000s. So it was always kind of there on the periphery Plus, like growing up, I was really into The Simpsons, uh, as any sort of 90s kids were. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot, there's so many MASH references on The Simpsons. Um, yes. And, <laughs> yes. So it's just one of those things that it was like, it's always been there on the periphery of pop culture for me, but I never actually watched it. My parents didn't watch it. It was never on syndication. Um, I live in, Canada and like, I guess the local channels here didn't uh, want to air that particular show in syndication. Watched a lot of happy days, but not the okay. same. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so I started watching it in like January of last year. Funny enough, one of my friends from another fandom started watching it totally separately at the same time. So we both started watching it and we both started going on this mash journey in t- uh, 2022. And Yeah, I've since watched the show twice all the way through um, (laughs) and uh, watched other episodes more than twice because it's such a good show and you just have to go back and watch it. And I even ended up kind of creating this little Discord server where we talk about MASH from like a queer context because a lot of MASH Blur fans, not all, but a lot are queer people as well. So and it's, it's fun to look at the show through that lens when you know, obviously, it wasn't written with those sort of things in mind. But, you know, there's a lot of people have been able to find representation and connection through the show, even though it was not the intention at the time so so really it's been oh it's been about a year now that i've been into mash and i feel like i am like the most novice fan and i'm probably not qualified to be on the show oh, but no, i'm no, very stop, honored stop, to stop. be <laughs> here
0: yeah. no no that's not a thing i we don't, okay. we, don't we don't gatekeep here at mashcast or <laughs> in the greater fire and water podcast network we don't we do not do that uh but i am fascinated again and i'm sure i will ask the same question of all the mash blur people that that come on the show this season i am fascinated as to what what it is that you hooked into at, at, you know, being a a younger person, I don't don't call you a young person, but (laughs) in relation to me, you are. So let's just go with that. But I mean, I think about that mash very conspicuously was using a, a style of comedy that was already kind of out of date by the seventies, but Larry Gilbert was consciously returning to that sort of forties, fifties rat-a-tat-tat, Kind of style of joke telling that even the movie uh, wasn't didn't use. I mean, uh, the movie is actually in a lot of ways hipper for the time than the show is. The show is going back to comedy forms older than what you found in in the movie, and and so now you're so now you've got a show you know about the nineteen fifties but made in the seventies, and now you're talking that's that was fifty years ago at this point. So I'm kind of wondering what was it. Did you laugh at the – I mean, you obviously must have found it funny. You wouldn't keep going with a sitcom you didn't find funny. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just sort of fascinated about, like, all the references to things that are 100 years old at this point. I'm wondering, how did it work for you as you were going through the shows?
1: Well, I've, I've always been into kind of older media anyway. I mean, when I was in high school, I went through a big Beatles phase. So I've all always right, kind true. of uh, <laughs> been a nostalgic person. But that that's just me personally. I would say, though, that it's just – the writing is so good and it's so punchy and so well done. The acting is incredible. It's just a really high quality series that holds up. And like you say that the movie um, was more contemporary to the time. It, it was hipper at the time. But I would argue that the movie probably hasn't aged as well as the TV series. No, it
0: has not. No, it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very much has not. It's, because a lo- I, it's yeah.
1: yeah, I tried to watch it and I was just like, that's not my Hawkeye. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it feels like another universe. You know, yeah. When you see that. If you, if you really want to, uh, get, get some cognitive dissonance, uh, try and read. Well, I should say don't, but the, the mash novels, uh, yeah. that exist and they are, I mean, they, I've actually can't even read them anymore. I, I despise them so heavily because I just find them to be so mean spirited and so nasty. And when I read, you know, Hawkeye Pierce calls a hippie beats up a hippie. I'm like, what? What am yeah. I reading? Like
1: what no, is this, you know? I'd say that um uh, the author of the the books uh, would not be happy with what Mashblur has uh, no, <laughs> taken from no the he show would because not. um you know it, it's it's really delightful to see that how the show has aged so well because and again i go back to the the writing and the uh the the performances are just so good um and it just it shows that it really is one of those shows that stands the test of time and like you say i think it's going to be if if we can keep copies of it in the pop culture it's really frustrating that a lot of it is only accessible via streaming Mm -hmm. um i'm really frustrated that they didn't release uh a 50th anniversary like blu-ray
0: remastered i know know. that
1: that was like i was looking forward to that but
0: yeah yeah there's the dvds but not the i don't know why they haven't Considering how much you can cram on Blu-rays, you could do the entire run in, like, five Blu-rays, and you're done. Uh, yeah. As, as we've seen with, like, HBO Max, stuff gets disappeared, gets thrown yeah. down the memory hole, and I would hate to ever see that happen to me. So I'm, uh, I'll never get rid of my DVDs just in case. Oh, same. I have, same. I have yeah. it across, like, four different platforms. I own the entire <laughs> series. You know, it's on Hulu, and I own it on Apple and whatever, and I even have, like... You know, I have to say I have like bootleg copies on my hard drive just for mm-hmm. you to yeah, pull just audio clips and stuff just in case. But I mean, man, um but uh and the, the you know the other thing I'm sort of fascinated by is and I, I talk about this a lot on my other one of my other shows, Pod Dylan, where I talk about the music of Bob Dylan, another thing that I'm a huge, huge fan of, is I'm less interested in when it comes to a creative piece, I'm less interested in the quote unquote correct meaning of what this piece of art is, because I don't believe that really is a thing. Uh, I, you know, once the artist creates the thing, the audience responds to it in their own way, depending on their own life. And there can be meanings that the, that the creator had no, no intention of, of imparting, but yet you can't control that once it's out there. And mm-hmm. of course, when you're talking about songs, that it's a very open field. I mean, there's lots of Dylan songs I talk about that, I clearly know he's not talking about this, but that's what it means to me because that's mm-hmm. when I heard the song. That was what, what I was experiencing in that moment. And so therefore the song is always about this, even though clearly it isn't when he yeah. wrote it. And there were limitations to that. Uh, You know, obviously there are people who are like, this is an example I've used all the time, like racist Star Trek fans. And you just say, what are you watching? What <laughs> show are you watching? If you're not picking up. But I am fascinated that Mashblur, the people on Blur have found... Stuff in mash that, as you as you just talked about, the creators clearly did not intend mm-hmm. or at the very least could not put in the show because of the limitations of censorship at the time they mm-hmm. just couldn 't do it, but yet the mash board people have found meanings in that, and I find that really fascinating so if you wouldn 't mind i don 't want to put you on the spot, but I am. <laughs> would you like could you explain that a little i mean are there things that you yourself have seen in shows either specific episodes or the show in general or the characters that you know you're like well obviously they didn't that that's that isn't there in the creator's original brief but this is how i'm taking it
1: yeah yeah absolutely and i think that's i'm so glad that you you kind of mentioned that because it's with mash especially the you can't kind of treat it as something that is just this is the canon and this is how it shall be treated because the canon contradicts itself all the time oh, good Hawkeye Lord, yeah. has a sister and a mom and then <laughs> so yeah. it's just like you can't you you have to kind of just take it for what it is and interpret it your own way and and a lot of people especially you know younger queer people watch the show and they see you know hawkeye will make jokes about being campy or we're being pregnant. He makes so many jokes about getting pregnant. <laughs> but in the, they're toothless, though, because we, you know, the show is like, oh, he's a ladies man. He's flirting. He's with women all the time. And I believe, like, you know, bisexuality wasn't kind of as prevalent back then. It wasn't really in the common knowledge of something that people could be. So it wouldn't have occurred to the casual viewer. But now we understand that bisexuality and pansexuality, it's, it's something that a lot more people identify with. And so... Looking back at those jokes, it's like, yeah, they were jokes at the time, but you know you don't necessarily have to read it that way and then Klinger, too, you know he's got his you know he cross dresses, but he's got his heterosexual romance plot lines, assuring the viewers at the time that he's still a masculine man despite the cross dressing but there's still something there for, for queer people who see representation, you know, maybe they see him as asexual or aromantic. Um, Margaret has all kinds of, Margaret's gender journey throughout the show, um, <laughs> talking about, you know, how she starts with Frank and and what she wants out of her life what she wants the house the cars the the husband and everything and where she ends up it's so fascinating and it's so incredible to look at as for a lot of women even nowadays or or not just women you know non-binary people as well watching this and seeing that sometimes people who are women are struggling with gender roles themselves um so even though this show was made you know, through a heterosexual, white cis male lens, like there's a lot that you can look at it now. You can look at it in a different way now because we we just live in a different society. We we talk more about gender. And we talk about sexuality. So you know, my me personally, yes, I do kind of see romance between some of the male characters, and that's hmm. that's just I'm not alone. There's a lot of us there, but we know it's not. That wasn't the intention when it came out. We're not delusional in that way. It's just—it's a reading that's fun to look at because these characters mean so much to us. They're so well written and so well acted, and it's—it's it's just really fun to explore through fan work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. I mean, it's it, no one is saying that the show is was putting out subtle codes that Hawkeye and BJ are actually lovers. there nobody's nobody's alleging that. Because mm-hmm. that's clearly not what the show is doing. Yeah. But you can also see, as you just said, you can also see something for yourself, and you're taking something and applying it, or, or finding it relatable in your own life. And it doesn't matter that it's not there; you're feeling it, and that's just as valid a uh, mm-hmm. feeling. And this is something that I mentioned. I mean, you know, this is more, much more, or less subtle, but it, it's obviously mm-hmm. when I was a kid, and I meant I. Got to mention this to Mike Farrell when I interviewed him was you know when in the last episode of the the last ever episode when when Hawkeye and BJ hug each other I had almost never seen that two men that I hug each other that was just not something that I grew up with it's not something I ever saw very much outside of you know some limited contexts but here were two men that I admired as much as any fictional characters I will ever admire in the history of taking in entertainment. And here were two men that were strong enough to express their love for one another and not feel ashamed of it or weird about it. It was, that was who they were. And that spoke to me, the, the, the 12 year old in me that watched that episode in a way that I had never seen anything. And so it, and that, burrowed under my skin and it's with me to this day and it's an important because it's like well you know if i grew up could i be as cool as hawkeye or bj god i would love to be those guys are the coolest <laughs> you know and here they are here they are uh, you know here are people on the playground using you know calling people fags or whatever you know typical mm-hmm. kind of dialogue of, of kids in the 1980s but here mm-hmm. were two men being very vulnerable with one another and professing their love for one another. And that was like incredibly powerful. And I thought the show had the the guts to do it. And when mm-hmm. a lot of the TV shows didn't. And so I can only imagine that being able to discover these things forty years after the show's like I can I I would love to watch the show for the first time again. Like every time I hear yeah. somebody from MASH but like you talk about discovering it for the first time, it's like, oh, what an amazing experience that would be to to know I have two hundred and fifty one of these and they're all new to me. Oh <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah.
1: No, it's and it's, cra- it's crazy
0: because we do have new, new people occasionally
1: will join my little Discord server. And they're like, I'm a, I'm currently watching the show for the first time. I'm on season four. I'm like, Whoa. oh, you're so lucky. <laughs> you're so lucky. So it's really fun to watch people watch the series, like you say. And yeah, no, Mike Farrell just seems like the nicest, just the most incredible person. Because I know that someone who did join our server, um, they were watching the show back then they were a fan Mm -hmm. back in the seventies when it was originally airing and wrote to Mike Farrell about how they did see the romantic connection between DJ and Hawkeye. And, and Mike Farrell wrote back and said, that's great. Like if that's something that you took away from the show, that's, that's really incredible to hear. And like hearing that he's so receptive of that as well as a fan. um, It just, it means the world. So, I mean, it's awesome. (laughs) He's such a good guy.
0: He lives up to every, thing you would want mike farrell to be he yeah really does. It's just oh that's so nice so, so okay so we've been talking for a while and i do want to yeah. get to this episode but one last yeah. thing i want to ask you before we move on to to last laugh is i mean you like the whole show from beginning to end but do you have a particular favorite era because i mean you know if you want to you can really cut mash up of the three maybe four distinct eras do you have any you know one particular era that you like maybe a little more than the others
1: so every time I do like a rewatch or like when I'm I'm on a certain season I'm like oh I really love this season this might be my favorite and then but <laughs> so it it's hard because the, the whole show is so good but I would definitely I think my favorite season overall is season 7 mm-hmm. um my favorite era is probably season Five to seven, five to okay. eight, maybe um, yeah. like it, getting a little tired. Larry Linville, amazing as Frank, but he obviously we know he deserved better kind of writing mm-hmm. for that character. Um, and Charles is amazing. I love Charles. No Charles in this episode, speaking of
0: which. <laughs> a baffling creative decision, but we'll, we'll get into that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think those that would be my answer. Seasons five to eight have emphasis on season seven.
0: Okay. Fair enough. All right. I always love to get the baseline for new people about where they are on it. Because I always I always I've had a couple of people say, Oh, my favorite season is like season one. And I'm like, <laughs> first of all, I always i am a little like, really? But then I also think, well, that's that's a you got a lot of lesser ones to watch in your mind than if the first yeah. season is your favorite. You got I got ten more that are not as good. It's a little like, oh okay. At yeah. least five through eight. Like, right, that's right in this, right in the heart of it. You know what I yes. mean? You're, you're building up, you're building up, and then you're, you're cruising, you're at cruising speed for a good four seasons. And then you got, okay, there's a couple more after that. They're still really good, but right in yeah. the middle is kind of a good, you know, that's a good spot to be in. I think so. So, all <laughs> right. Let's, uh, let's get to, as I said, this is called Last Laugh. It originally aired October 4th, 1977, written by the Always dynamic team of Everett Greenbaum, Jim Fritzell, and directed by Don Weiss. Colonel Potter gets a call from the Provo Marshal saying that there's a formal investigation centering around BJ saying that he's not really a doctor. Potter, of course, thinking this is ridiculous, tries to talk them out of it, but they insist. Potter finds BJ in the mess tent and tells him about the call. He says it came from a Colonel Bardanero, which tips BJ off that this is all a practical joke. Bardonero is the name of an old friend of his who loves pulling pranks just like this. A few hours later, Leo Bardenero, played by James Cromwell, arrives at the 477 full of jokes, exploding cigars, and even joy buzzers. He's bearing good news. He's got his orders to head home. BJ is, of course, jealous. After Bardenero leaves, Hawkeye and BJ are in post-op, tending to patience when some MPs arrive to arrest BJ. They even have a warrant issued by a general fox. BJ says it's all a joke, but the MPs are not laughing. Colonel Potter asks to talk to Fox and says that BJ threw a raucous party in Seoul, complete with music and girls, setting off the hotel's fire alarm and sending Fox running into the hall with his secretary naked. The MPs cart off BJ, followed by Hawkeye and Colonel Potter, dressed in their class at uniforms and carrying mounds of paperwork, proving BJ wasn't even in Seoul when Fox said he was. Back at the 477th, Margaret is desperate to talk to her husband, Donald, who wrote a letter suggesting that he misses his wife In the biblical sense, she's tried to get a pass from Colonel Potter, who keeps saying no. Finally, when she can't even get through a call to him, she explodes, wrecking Raider's office in a rage. In General Fox's office, he ignores all the evidence Potter and Hawkeye brought with them and is determined to go through with the court martial. He has what he thinks is the coup de grace, BJ's service hat, which he left behind in the hotel room. BJ puts it on, which droops all the way down to his nose. Hawkeye adds, that's his hat, all right. Case dismissed. The three of them make their way back to the 477th, getting sauced during the trip. Potter, drunk and in a good mood, gives Margaret the green light to go to Seoul before she can get a word out while Hawkeye and BJ stagger into the swamp. Waiting for them is Leo, whose travel orders were swiped by BJ when he first came by. He begs for them back, and BJ strikes a deal that there won't be any more practical jokes from now on in exchange for the papers. Leo agrees, grabs his travel orders, and takes off in the Jeep the doctors came home in. Some mail arrives, and in it is a letter for BJ, a bill from the hotel Leo stayed at, claiming damages to the room in the form of several hundred dollars. Hawkeye is mad that Leo got the last word in, but BJ says that they'll settle up when Leo comes walking back. The only thing gassed up in that Jeep was us. All right, Lisa, last laugh. Again, we'll go through it a bit, you know, scene by scene as we do, but what are your overall feelings about this episode?
1: Well, we talked about it just uh, br- briefly before the synopsis, but the fact that there's no Charles in this is kind of crazy because it's such a full, like, there's so much in this episode going on and it's so funny. Like, this is a really funny episode. There's great lines for, for Klinger, for Mulcahy, for, um, Potter has something that makes me laugh out loud. And obviously Hawkeye and BJ are amazing. Um, and Margaret just is bananas off the walls (laughs) i would say that may i i i don't i'm not convinced on her storyline it's a little out there but um other than that i think this is probably one of my top episodes of season six it's just so much fun especially seeing like we we don't see that much of bj outside of him talking about his marriage and you know uh, interacting with hawkeye in the camp so seeing like BJ interacting with someone new is really fascinating, um, for his character, especially since he's really, you know, he's starting to develop into this more kind of, I don't know, I don't know how to put it. <laughs> this, this more mischievous sort of, person um who we see over the you know once he gets his mustache you can kind of argue that that's when he's uh he's full-on prankster silly bj so um i this is the beginning of a bj era that i really enjoy i would say
0: yeah this is already said outside of uh peg we don't hear a lot about i mean he calls his father in season five but we generally don't get a whole lot of like bj's life back in California. Um, and so by the way, by the way, I've been to Mill Valley since the last season. And, uh, but as we were driving through it, I was like, Oh, this is where the honeycuts live. I was so excited. (laughs) Such a nerd. Uh, I would have been excited too. Oh man, I found the sign and everything. So I was just, I was really, really thrilled about that. But, uh, but yeah, so the, the fact that there's no Winchester, that is a baffling creative decision to introduce a new character into the show. And then three episodes in, you don't feature him at all. Uh, maybe, maybe, uh, David Ogden Steers had some sort of commitment that he, you know, was able to, but it just seems so strange that you wouldn't even give him a perfunctory scene just to remind people, Hey, there's a new character here. We had Dr. Dr. Winchester, but okay. Aside from that. Uh, but yeah, um, this is a, this is a very funny episode. And again, we'll get to the, some of our favorite lines and things like that. So it opens up in, um, uh, uh, Colonel Potter's office and, you know, he gets the phone call. I love that, uh, Potter, answers the phone before radar could do it. Like, you know, they've been working with each other for so long. They have this little competition with each other, which is really cute. And then he finds out, you know, okay, the, the there's this uh General Fox says he's uh you know issuing charges and that he's not he says claims that BJ's not a doctor. And of course radar's like, ooh, he took some blood out of him. Calm down radar. And then Potter even does like the hand like all right, all right, all right, whatever. Um now then, uh, Klinger enters uh, doing uh, his latest scam, which is carting around an invisible camel, uh, which he calls Habibi. And he's even got like a turban on, not a turban, excuse me, he's got like an Arabic uh, head, head scarf on and he's carrying it around and he's doing, you know, Jamie, uh, Jimmy Farr doing some marvelous physical comedy, pretending that he's got this camel that's sort of bucking and winging as he's trying to hold it in syndication you mentioned that you didn't see the show in syndication mm-hmm. um i did obviously and all of these scenes are missing
1: every what? one of them
0: yes they had to cut something i guess they had ah. more commercials for rice and roni or whatever but i whoever decided to edit this one in my local philadelphia market I guess just didn't like the Klinger stuff. And so all of this was missing. So I I never saw this until I got the DVDs. It was this whole everything with Klinger pretty much excised.
1: Oh, that's such a shame because like you say, Jamie Farr really gives it his all like his the physical comedy of this bit is just so good. The way he kind of Jerks his arm around like like the camel's actually pulling him. It like mm-hmm. it's it's really convincing, and he he kind of gives it his all. And it, that's such a shame to hear that it was cut. But yeah, like you say, they got to cut something. So yeah, I
0: guess so. Yeah, oh. uh, I like you catch at one point radar is actually laughing. Yes, like, that's a bit, <laughs> you know, because they're just like not taking any of this seriously, obviously. Uh, yeah. But I like that he finds it funny. You know, he's like, oh, okay, the Klinger's here to entertain us a little bit, so it's fun because <laughs> obviously this is not. This is, even even by the the low standards of Klinger scams, this is a low-level scam. I mean, this is not going to get him anywhere. It's uh, a slow then, week for Klinger. It really is. Uh, and then he continues it in The Mess Tent, which is the next scene where he's pulling it on Father Mulcahy. And Father Mulcahy has the line about, you know, if you put more, if you put uh, as much effort into, you know, your job as you do is getting out of here. You know what I mean? Like, you know, life would be a lot easier for you. And Cleaner's like, oh, whatever. That's he kind of just he won't give up the the ghost there. You know, he's just going to like, no, 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 I'm going to keep keep doing it. And then. Yeah. So then we cut to uh, Hawkeye trying to proposition a nurse. And he talks about uh, getting some Fig Newtons and stuff. And uh it's Jennifer is one of the nurses. And then he has to stop that when Father McKay shows up and he's got to pretend, you know, OK, we're not doing anything. Uh, you know, <laughs> sleazy or anything like that. It's fine. Potter arrives, asks, uh, where BJ is. And there's this kind of this banter back and forth about, uh, about the, the provo marshal calling and saying he's a, he's a, you know, he's not really a doctor and Hawkeye's is going along with the bit. And we see the Mulcahy is not so much. And we could see that like Potter's just not kind of in the mood. And Mulcahy gets that. And then BJ shows up and goes along with the bit about, you know, oh, I'm not a doctor. Oh, you know, shucks, I've been caught or whatever. And it's just kind of funny that Mulcahy just doesn't, you know, he can sort of sense Potter's not in the mood to kid around. So he's not Mm -hmm. doing it. Hawkeye and BJ are just doing the bit to entertain themselves.
1: Yeah. I But I really enjoy those little kind of Mulcahy commenting. He's just like, wild talk today. It goes on and on. (laughs) Like, I really just enjoy William Christopher's delivery of those lines and how like Hawkeye will do little asides to him. And, you know, he's trying to get him to go along with it. But yeah, Potter's just not having it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, And Hawkeye and BJ know that and they don't care.
1: Yeah. Because <laughs> they have to
0: entertain themselves. Exactly. You know? He even says to BJ, Hawkeye says to BJ, are you a spy? And he's like, I'm not allowed to say. And they're just <laughs> going on. And Potter's like, uh. And then his day's made even worse by Margaret's subplot comes spilling in where she comes in and demands to, to to see Donald, and he's like, no, not having it. And then she storms off. Um, and uh, you know, because and they don't they don't expressly get into what the deal is with that. But uh, she says it's important. And Potter's like, it's always important. <laughs> and then now she has a line here where Margaret says, uh, you know, basically begging to get uh, permission. And she says, I ask so little. And Hawkeye says, and she gives so much, which, again, a sleazy joke on Hawkeye's <laughs> part. And then uh, Margaret storms out. Now, the reason I mentioned those lines specifically is in the 1980s, um, there were, I read, you know, I still do, but I mean, especially in the eighties, I read comic books uh, constantly. And there was an ad, uh, in 1984 comic books featuring, uh, the, the character called Sergeant Rock, which is a war comics character from DC Comics. And he is promoting something with called the Veterans Radio Network. And this was a radio network. Featuring uh, staffed by veterans that would provide content for veterans hospitals exclusively for veterans hospitals and, you know, stuff for them to listen to because they said a lot of people were in, in these hospitals either for very long periods of time or sometimes for their entire lives. And there's a panel in this ad that features three actors standing around a microphone quoting these lines of dialogue what? Yes. Yes. Like, and literally those lines about hot lips. And she, she asked for so little and she gives so much. And I was such a, and it doesn't, it they're not dressed as mash characters and they don't refer to each other by their character names. And it doesn't, Sergeant rock doesn't say, well, they even perform that. Like there's no indication <laughs> that it's mash. And it's only because I was such a mash nerd that I recognized the dialogue. I went, that's from mash. What is this about? So I did some research as much as I... Of course, this is 1984. I had no clue what that was, and I had to just live with the mystery. Post-internet, I was able to do a little bit of research, and I found that this Veterans Network did amateur productions of MASH episodes. What? Yes! Yes! That's so cool! Yes! Now, unfortunately, I have not been able to find anything more than that. I even... they, They are still in uh they are still in operation uh they have a website i wrote to them once i think i wrote to them even twice i went to like the generic mailbox and it said i'm trying to do some research and no one ever got back to me so there's nothing i've been able to do but i the thought that there are amateur productions of mash episodes out there i'm like i will not rest until i get to hear at least one or two of these things they must still exist somewhere there must be audio recordings of these
1: Yeah. Well, especially that, like, that's really cool. And so they, they did kind of, were these like broadcasts or how, how were they?
0: I don't know. I, I have given you all the information that I have. I know nothing more than that. I get, I get from the context of the ad that they were, they did, that they did, they did movies, like they did Mm -hmm. entertainment, not just TV shows, but it would make sense that they would do service related material stuff yeah. about people in the service that makes total yeah. sense and mash you know probably had they had maybe 250 mashes to pick from but whether they they could i'm sure they didn't do them all uh maybe they did one or two maybe they did a couple of dozen i have no idea but that that panel <laughs> i can still picture it to this day of three of these three little figures holding scripts around a microphone and just quoting ma dialogue from this episode so there we go
1: That's- that's wild. it's, it's incredible to think about how much kind of content like that is lost because the, you know, there wasn't the same sort of ability to record and like, you know, hold on to things for a long period of time. You know, like the internet, everything on the internet lives forever yep. if if through the internet archive and whatnot. But yep, yep. yeah, a lot of stuff must be lost like that. That's a real shame.
0: Yeah. I, I said, I'm not going to give up until I find at least one of them. And oh. just, just, just to prove that time is a flat circle. Uh, for, for anyone, anyone who's ever seen that ad, it was drawn by the legendary comic book artist, Joe Kubert, co-creator of Hawkman, co-creator of Sergeant Rock, many great characters. And I eventually went to, as everyone knows, I eventually went to the Joe Kubert school and was taught directly by Mr. Kubert. So it all, it all just circles back. Had I thought... To do it i would have asked him i should have put that ad in front of him like when did you do this but uh but but yeah so it, that someday i promise everybody someday i'm going to find at least a snippet of one of those episodes because i i just i'm I'm just so completely fascinated by that so anyway sorry for the diversion everybody but this was the episode that i was <laughs> gonna get to was that 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 big thing so anyway, uh, BJ talks about that uh, he's got his medical credentials, Acme Medical School, the residency at Job, Joe's Hospital and Auto Supply, uh, his practice at Schultz's Mortuary. Uh, <laughs> that's all great kind of stuff. And then Potter mentions Bardinero, and that is, of course, the thing that triggers BJ, where he realizes, okay, Leo Bardinero, this is all a bit, this is a practical joke. You know, this is this is the, the, the you know I this is what this guy does. Him and I do this to each other, and as we've established, BJ is an inveterate practical joker, and he said, "Why? That's why he got along so well with Leo, is because they do this kind of stuff, you know, and they, they do they do all this stuff to each other, and even in season five, dear Sigmund, the one character he says he can't figure out is BJ Honeycutt, and he can't figure out what makes BJ tick, and we find out that BJ gets his stresses out." By doing practical jokes. So that's mm-hmm. his bit. And we say that Leo is, is, uh, almost like his, his Obi-Wan Kenobi in this regard, you know, like <laughs> he, he, that, that as far as BJ takes it, Leo takes it even further in terms of his unrelenting. Just, you know, he's got, I mean, he's, he's kind of reduced to like joy buzzers and fake cigars, which we have, even BJ doesn't do that stuff.
1: Yeah, no, and we'll, we'll get to the line. Like at some point, Leo says, Oh, our jokes are creative. And then yep. I'm like, really? Buzz, buzzers, hand buzzers and yeah. lying. <laughs> That's not that creative, Leo, but okay. No.
0: Exploding cigars. Yeah. No, not really. Um, so then Leo arrives and is played, as I mentioned, played by the great character actor, James Cromwell. He's got hundreds of credits. One of the great careers all in Hollywood. He is in one of my favorite movies of all time, nineteen seventy-five's Murder by Death. He actually uh the, the he and uh and Richard Narita, who played Cho in Ping Pong from season five, are the uh, and and Maggie also Maggie Smith is in the film. They are the only three surviving actors from that film. Everyone else has has since passed. But uh but but he's still around. And if I ever ran into James Cromwell, I would As much as I love MASH, I would talk to him about Murder by Death because I love that movie so much. (laughs) But, of course, he was also in the Babe movies. He was in The People versus Larry Flint, L.A. Confidential, The Queen, Star Trek First Contact. I mean, again, it's just really one of the most amazing character actor careers in Hollywood. And I do find it amazing that MASH managed to find an actor taller and skinnier than Mike Farrell, which is no easy trick.
1: Yeah, well, and wasn't, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't he in the running to play BJ as well?
0: Apparently so, yes, which you yeah. can totally see. You can totally see it.
1: I I mean, I honestly, Mike Farrell is so BJ to me that I cannot even fathom the idea of anyone <laughs> else playing him. So so I I personally am like, James Cromwell, no. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> he's great for this part.
0: <laughs> yes, he's very brash. Uh, at one point, uh Hawkeye says, "Where are you from?" and and Bardner goes, "What do you mean, Philly?" And he says, "He says it. I'm from Philadelphia myself. That's pretty accurate with the kind of very, you know." Should kind of Hawkeye blue- have known this? I know, yeah, right. He says it like, uh, "Of course, I'm from Philly." Like, well, you know, we don't get to hear Leo say water, so we don't know that he's from, <laughs> from Philadelphia exactly. But, uh, but I just, yes, I can't imagine anybody else as as BJ Honeycutt. But I mean, in terms of the physical type. Holy Mac. Yeah. I mean, these two guys are they they had to be on the basketball team together, right? I mean, because Mike Farrell is like six four, I think, in real life. Six three. Yeah. And, and well, then you've everyone got...
1: all the uh, all the swamp rats are like super tall. I mean they're the Hawkeye's tall. quite tall. And then you've got David Ogden Steers who are like is incredibly tall, and then mm-hmm. they all stand next to Potter and Harry Morgan, and it's just like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like... <laughs> they're right. all giants. And then... Yeah, and then Cromwell's even bigger than he is. You know, you're like, my God, what is James Cromwell? Like six six? I mean, how big is this guy? So um, so he arrives and they they you know, they they catch up a little. Uh there's this weird line where uh uh Leo goes, What time is it? And uh BJ's like, it's one thirty and he says, Oh, I got I got a I got a plane to catch. And I'm like, how long? He's been with them for what? A minute and a half? Like Why did he stop by at all? Exactly? <laughs> I'm like, why, why? did you do that? If you're if you're that tight <laughs> on your schedule, I would be like, I don't think this is a war zone. I don't think I have time to stop by and say hi, BJ, when you can only stay for ninety seconds. Like yeah, I know the TV, TV time has collapsed, but I just always thought it was so funny that he's literally like, Hi, I gotta go, bye. Like
1: <laughs> Well and clearly, you know, he doesn't catch that plane because we find oh. out. <laughs> Yeah, he can't he can't leave right away. So I don't know what the hurry was there, but okay. <laughs>
0: Very strange. Uh so then uh uh Hawkeye says, Would you when you get back, would you call my father? And uh he says, my father's a cry Maine. Will you call him Leo? And he's like, Sure, I'd love to do it. And I love <laughs> there's no what's your father's name yeah what like <laughs> you know, I any information what's he gonna do look it up on google i mean what are you talking about like it's- well he's
1: yeah he's clearly it has no plans to do that he's like <laughs> yeah sure whatever you say hawkeye like and it, it's really like during this scene you can see the contrast between the two friends that bj you know we see um so there's leo who is just so sarcastic, jokey all the time, and and we thought you know Hawkeye's a a fun jokey guy, but he's a sincere person as well. He's he shows sincerity. He's like, hey K- Leo, can you tell my father, let him know I'm okay and everything. And mm-hmm. Leo clearly has no intention to do mm-hmm. that because, like you say, he asks no follow up
0: questions. Yeah. <laughs> like I mean, okay, your father's in Crabapple Cove, Maine. I think I need a little more than that yeah. to place a phone call. I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, maybe Crabapple Cove is very small and you can just call the operator and talk to Mabel and say, uh, I'm trying to reach uh, Hawkeye Pierce's boy and they might be able to patch you through to that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No. Good luck. I just, just found it very funny that he just blows right through it. So uh, then uh, we see that, you know, that as much as uh, Leo claims that their jokes are a lot more clever, uh, he does have in fact a joy buzzer and then uh, he, uh, he gets Hawkeye with that. And BJ is finding that very funny. He's going, "Oh, he got gotcha. you, he got gotcha. you!" And then as Leo drives away, the cigar that BJ took out of Leo's mouth that he put in his own mouth explodes. So, he, which means that Leo was one step ahead of him. He knew that BJ was going to do that and put a gag cigar in his own mouth, knowing BJ would take it, and it explodes on in BJ's face. And I love that Hawkeye just quotes it back to him. He's like, "Oh, he got gotcha. you!" Like he's just finding that really funny. That he's like, okay, you thought you're making fun of me, but he got you too, you dimwit. You know, yeah. but that's really
1: fun. It just seems like this such a weird friendship that they must have had. I mean, like, the, the prank where they talked about reassembling a, a taxi cab in the dean's office, that's dean's kind office. of cool. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. But, like, the rest of it, it's just so, like, competitive and antagonistic. Um, there's that line in that scene about how BJ's like, yeah, he was my best man at my wedding and showed up in a white towel and black tie. I was like, what would Peg think of that?
0: Uh, having just been married, I know that that would not go over well. Yeah. Uh, that would have not gone over well had my – anyone in at the, at the wedding party. And We didn't have a wedding party, exactly. But had anyone done that, that would have not gone over well. So, yeah, I, this is the one area of BJ that I can't relate to is the practical joke stuff because I hate practical jokes. I just find them to be yeah. cruel, cool, not funny, um, you know. And so that's the one part of BJ I'm like mm. – Eh, you know, but okay, you know, yeah, that's fine. uh, you know, and he and and it also kind of you know gives the lie. I thought, well, maybe that's something Bj's into, as as we talked, as they talked about in season five, a pressure valve from being mm-hmm. a, a, in Korea. But we now know, no, he does it. He did it at home. So the, Bj's a practical joke guy. And again, had I known a guy like that in in real life, I would have given him a wide berth because I would have been like, I'm just not interested. Just leave me out of it you know that's fine um so uh so then he leaves and then we have margaret sitting down and begging colonel potter yet again uh for a pass and she talks about that uh you know donald is a man you know how men are and you, for his morale and his well-being and and then she has that line about uh you know you've been away from mrs potter for a long time surely you must have yearnings <laughs> such a yearnings word. yearnings it's such i a wrote word. that in
1: my notes i was like
0: just in quotes yearnings Ugh. yearnings it makes it sound just so so terrible and then radar walks in and i love that she screams get out of here this is man talk <laughs> 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 ah, and he drops the papers and runs out so that she tries to explain it again so then and then uh, now we're back in Post-op and Hawkeye and BJ are doing their doctory things when two MPs show up to arrest BJ. And one of the MPs is the the one who actually has a line, has several lines, is actor John Ashton. And for those of you from a certain vintage, you'll remember John Ashton from Beverly Hills Cop. He is one of the two cops that uh, tags along with, tries to tail Eddie Murphy in that movie. He's in... He's Grease Marvin in Midnight Run, which is really funny. And he's most one of those more recent credits was in Ben Affleck's Gone Baby Gone. Again, a you know, another great kind of character actor career. Um in those movies, he's almost always got this big kind of bushy mustache here. He's clean shaven. But uh but yeah, that's uh that's John Ashton. And they come and they bring the the summons and BG's not taking it seriously, and they tell him to blow, you know, uh and you know, they're just like, well, this is all very, very serious. And they cart him off and they show the orders to Colonel Potter. And he's like, you know, this is a, this is, this, is, this isn't a fake. This is a, this is a real charge. Um, and then uh, he says, basically that's the act break where Hawkeye says, you know, you're in serious trouble because they realize this is actually a real thing uh, that is happening. And so then we go back to act two and we're all trying to figure out what in the hell is going on. And when they go back into Colonel Potter's office, Klinger is there presumably scooping up uh remains from his camel that's the one scene that i did see in syndication because they couldn't really cut it because it's concerning and i remembered absent any context i was like what is this like what is this moment i didn't understand it and now i understand okay it's a part of a running bit
1: yeah that would be really confusing but i do love the synchronized um uh, on bj and hawkeye's party. yes they they look at each other and they just immediately step over the fake poop or the invisible yep. poop and it's just it's one of those like moments in the episode there's many of them but it just shows like how in sync they are and how they kind of operate as a unit they just <laughs> they work so well together
0: it's, like, it is such a great bit i love it it's so it's silent yeah and they just look and they both do it. It's just such a great bit of physical comedy. It's really good. I love that. Yeah. I'm glad I had that in my notes too. It's just really, really funny. Um, so then Colonel Potter calls this General Fox character. And of course, Colonel Potter obviously knows the guy because he says, uh, what's this all about, Fred? So obviously he's sort of familiar with this guy. And he talks about, uh, you know, uh, steaks. Oh, you have yeah, the grilling, uh, naked out in the hall. Oh, wait, <laughs> you were naked. And then he says, uh, you know, uh, this was at the grand hotel. And the fire alarm went off, throwing a wild party, and uh he had to run out uh um, into the hall naked with his secretary. They were he was uh dictating uh in the bathtub. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Colonel Potter knows this is terrible. Like he you know he knows the story yeah. you know, but yet he and I love the way he uh he was uh dictating. Uh <laughs> in the bathtub <laughs> it's just like,
1: he can't uh, make it sound convincing he no. knows <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> i just yeah The and like you hear like everything that is being described is like so the opposite of what bj is all about he's like the, mm-hmm. the family man he would be like partying with girls and a, grilling steaks and doing stuff like this so like he immediately see like oh god this is this is like whatever leo is that that's not the bj we know he wouldn't no. be friends with a guy like this no
0: no yeah it's none of it has anything to do with anything we know of bj um so then uh bj gets put into a jeep and they're gonna cart him off father mulcahy comes by to give him some rosaries uh rosary and uh rosary beads and bj's like i'm you know i'm sorry father but i'm not catholic and mulcahy says uh hold on to them anyway and hawkeye has a line that is just the edge of really offensive to Father Mulcahy, where he says, if, uh, if they don't confiscate him, you can use him to strangle the guards. Yeah. Just like, and you see Mulcahy give him you know, the eye-roly look, but it really yeah. is like, that is really kind of offensive to say, Hey, take this very sacred artifact to you and use them. It's, it's a joke, but it is like, Hey, take this very sacred thing that you take very seriously in your religion and you're going to use them as an, as a tool of violence, which is like,
1: yeah, yeah, well, you know, we've seen how Hawkeye uh, kind of treats religion in general. Uh, you know, not, there was that whole conversation, war is hell, and he's saying all that right in front of Father Mulcahy and talking about, uh, yeah, so he's he has very flippant towards religion in the past. This uh, this this tracks.
0: Yeah, it's just <laughs> using the strangle of the guards. <laughs> so uh, Margaret comes by once again and begs for a pass, and Potter, again, having none of it. And he says if Penobscot misses you so bad, tell him to take a jog, preferably in a cold rain. <laughs> Just <laughs> not <laughs> happening. Um there's even more bits with Klinger with the uh the camel where he's kind of running through the camp trying to pretend that this uh, camel is still you know dragging him around. Hawkeye and Colonel Potter dressed in their 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 nice uniforms and they go into the uh they get into the Jeep and they drive off. And so back at the, well, not back where we haven't left, the 477, uh, Margaret comes in and demands a phone call to be placed to her husband. And initially radar says, I can't, I'm not supposed to do that. And then she threatens him. And then we find out that because of, uh, because of some technical issues there, the lines are down and they won't be, she won't be able to, to get through. And that's when Margaret goes into an absolute rage, uh, where she, flips knocks over cabinets grabs all of Radar's papers throws them out of a filing cabinet um ending with her literally kicking him in the ass yeah So he falls <laughs> and i am like too far yeah this is too far this is just it, like no this is not right and it's not funny yeah it it really like it, there's
1: nothing endearing about this kind of situation i mean what what is Margaret doing in this episode? She's just flipping out the whole time because she's horny and, like, she wants to go <laughs> see Donald. It's like, it's, it's, it's it was a weird decision. I, I personally, I think, I don't know, they could have used, like we say, we could have used Charles in those scenes. But, and yeah, like, kicking radar, that's too far, I feel yeah. like. Yeah, and it's... even, I would have said even messing up his files is too far, but that's because I'm someone who, if someone did that to me, I'd be furious, but this this plot line is really weird to me. My friend Helen Mash Brainrot, um, they were the person who was has been watching this whole uh, watching Mash with me since the beginning of twenty twenty two. So we've been on this journey together and they were arguing in favor of this plot line, you know, but I, I just can't I can't reconcile it because of this whole scene with Margaret and radar. It's just it's too far for me. So yeah. I'm glad to hear that you agree with that, but you know to
0: it each would, their own, it would be fine. I'm fine with the plot line that that it's, it's not that I don't, I never took it so much that Margaret horny. Is that I took it that Penobscot is being a baby and talking about how much he misses her in that way. And she is just like, oh my God, my poor Don, Like, you know what I mean? It's not, I mean, yeah, we know that Margaret is Margaret See, is I, Margaret.
1: I, I don't know. I felt it was her kind of using Donald as an excuse for her. Oh,
0: interesting. I yeah. never, I never took it like that. I took it that she was just he was being a baby and she is like, let me go help him. And Potter of course is like, come on, you know, he's a grown man. Like, what are you talking about? He's in a war. You know what I mean? But I, if they had had Margaret destroy, I know that the scene is that, you know, it's the phone call and she's in that office, but like, if she just like not the kick the door down or goes to the O club and smashes the O club or like smashes a Jeep, but just not, messing up radar like you know you love radar so much that it's like and you're like and also you have to figure uh, a mass scene that we never saw is after margaret gets back and potter sobers up he sits her down and he's like you can't do that again yeah because the paperwork that's the paperwork of the unit you know like that's like it's not like she destroyed you know a trinket that it doesn't you know, I was like that's all of his work you know yeah. like, it just it just i wish they had found a way for her to express her rage in a way that didn't take it out on radar because it just yeah. feels wrong so yeah that that scene just doesn't really work for me
1: well there's a scene in in season 7 where she kicks down the door of
0: the, right in that, the, right. the
1: office that's funny that's that fine was, yeah but you know no one got hurt and anyway yeah
0: right exactly yeah it's just it's it's just like ah oh, it's just a little just a little too far there, um, yeah. so now we're at uh, we're in Tokyo, and we go to general fox's office, and General Fox is played by the actor Robert Carnes. He passed away in 1979 um, he had a lot of a lot of standard 60s and 70s TV credits, but you would know him from another episode of Mash He is the general in or I think he's the colonel I forget whether he's a colonel or a general, but he is the big guy in the O Club when Hawkeye and Radar go to pick up BJ for the first time. Welcome to Korea. Oh my God. He's the guy that questions Radar's Corporal Captain's bar, you know, Corporal Stripes and Captain's bars. I don't like it at all. That's the same guy. That's Robert Carnes. He's playing a different character, but it's the same actor.
1: That's so cool. I never realized that, but I I guess I did feel he was familiar, but MASH does that so often. It'll be like a a general you've seen in the past. And, you're like, who was that? So
0: that's yep, cool. That so, you know. same guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know Mash was never going to bother with this. It would have been funny if it had been the same guy somehow. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> but they never, Mash, you know, Mash could barely keep, as you talked about, they couldn't even keep Hawkeye's family straight. They're not going to yeah. worry about some character from season four who appeared yeah. for 45 seconds and then have him back. So, uh, Robert Carnes is great here. He's very officious and he's blustering. And, you know, uh, he, he, you know, Colonel Potter. Colonel Potter always has to tread that line with these with these idiot generals as, you know, resist. He has to be he has to he has to follow what they tell. You know, he can't be too uh, contrary to them because he's only a colonel and this guy's a general. But he also has to try and defend himself or defend his people as best he can. And he talks about that, uh, you know, BJ was in surgery and he's when did you leave? Oh, like 1300 hours. And Fox is like, oh, that's enough time. To get to Tokyo by chopper, which is like, what? what? Like, you know, what did he do? Perform surgery and then jump into a chopper? Like, what? Like, that makes no sense. And they talk about that the Hawkeye and BJ were doing a, a company sock wash. <laughs> and, uh, and and of course, uh, Fox is like, Colonel, are you there for this company sock wash. And, <laughs> uh, and Potter has a, just a marvelous line. Uh, that was for the younger crowd. <laughs> <laughs> i love that so much it's, <laughs> so it's like that's for the hipsters of the of the 477 this is the, the company sock wash that uh,
1: makes me laugh so hard
0: oh god and then he talks about then he even says general we have overwhelming evidence which is again that's as far as colonel potter can go you know is like saying look you know this is bullshit right you know this you know and then fox pulls out the paperwork and he you know PJ says, "That's not my signature. I mean, it's not even my handwriting." Um, And then, uh, you know, Hawkeye kind of pushes back at Fox, and then um, Fox points to his bars and points to the stars on his on his uh, lapel, and he says, "What do these mean to you, Captain?" And Hawkeye says, always trust your car to the man who wears a star, which was an old tagline from Texaco gas stations. That's that's even before my time, but I do know those ads. That was their tagline. That's where he gets it from. And so I love that uh, Fox says, clam up, Captain. And then you see yeah. he's about to say something, and Potter puts his hands over his mouth. He
1: knows Hawkeye <laughs> so well. He's like, no, nope, don't even, don't even. <laughs> We're in enough trouble.
0: <laughs> I love that it's only because Fox is not looking at them in that moment that he get that he doesn't notice that. I just that's yeah. a, a great bit of physical physical comedy on on the Harry po- uh, Harry Morgan's uh, Harry Morgan's uh, part. So then he finally pulls out what he thinks is the ultimate piece of evidence, which is the, the hat, the uh, the officer's hat. He tells BJ to put it on, and the hat droops down over BJ like it's practically a hoodie. And that makes me think how big is Leo's head.
1: That, <laughs> oh, that's what I was thinking. Cause you look at the scenes of them next to each other. Yes. That, uh, you know, James Cromwell is a tall guy, but I, his head is relatively proportionate to Mike Farrell's. Like it's, it's, it's cartoonishly big. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, right. i mean, like, was he Frankenstein? Like, why is that hat? Why is that hat <laughs> so big? Uh, but obviously that's the thing that clinches it. And uh, we have our three heroes driving back while they're drinking, Completely, uh without, completely, drinking with complete abandon. Um Potter has a great line. Let's celebrate our victory over the brass, which is very, to me, very instructive that Colonel Potter doesn't think of himself as yeah. the brass. He's a colonel, but yet he doesn't think of himself that way. This is one of the, I, okay, here's a perfect example. When you get to jokes like this, and when you got to them first time around, what do you think of these jokes? Because drunk we don't do drunk driving jokes anymore (laughs) That's that's that we you know that's not a thing uh now obviously these guys are not in traffic they're not really at a risk of hurting anybody but when you when when they first started doing them in mash and they did them a lot did you laugh at them did you are you were able to appreciate like all right that was just the of the time Fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's ma- mainly that it's like, man, I, I did write in my notes. I said, you definitely couldn't have gotten away with that nowadays, but I mean, that, it's, it's one of those things where not only is it from the 1970s um, it's also in Korea in a war zone. I feel like the rules for drinking and driving for them particular, they, they didn't adhere to them as much because they already, you know, they already think that they're, they're in danger all the time anyway, so who cares? It's just extra out of danger. But sometimes they they do care. I mean, there's that scene in Welcome to Korea where uh radar insists on driving them back from Rosie's, uh, because mm-hmm. they're both plastered. So that it mattered then, but here mm-hmm. it's just like, eh, whatever, let's get Hawkeye, get totally drunk. And by the way, Alan Alda driving that Jeep, like he's driving it himself on the set. And um and almost, it, it looks at one point like he's about to hit a building. I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> they really trusted their star to know what he was doing.
0: And they're but not yeah. just—they're not just a little tipsy. They are hammered. Yeah. Because they—they they pull up, and radar—and radar is gassed by how awful they smell, you know, of the liquor. And then Colonel Potter gets about four steps out of the jeep and then just collapses after after yeah. he tells Margaret. By the way, that she can she can go see Donald finally because he's getting he's too drunk to care. But I mean, he collapses, and again, it it, always wonder. Boy, I hope uh, no uh, wounded arrive uh, because three fourths of the medical of the doctors are uh, completely uh, not ready to perform surgery.
1: And Charles isn't even there. (laughs) And
0: who knows where Winchester is. Who knows? Yeah. We don't even know. Is he there? Is he not there? We don't. So there's gonna be some doctor on duty, right? They left Winchester to run the whole place himself while they were doing all this. Yeah. Uh, but that said, Harry Morgan, of course, does a really great drunk. He does a great fall. He does that bit about that I fall down. No, I didn't think so. And he kind of wanders out of the frame and stuff. <laughs> um, then we have another bit with the uh, the 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 camel, a drunk Colonel Potter, talking to. Klinger with his camel sitting up on the hammer. And he even he says, I brought you a a discharge from Seoul. And of course Klinger thinks again, he says it's for the camel. He could peck his humps and leave anytime. So very cruel on Colonel Potter's fault. <laughs> they go back to the swamp and there is Leo waiting because as we saw in the earlier scene, BJ swiped Leo's travel orders. Now, I've never been in the military. I never will be in the military. I would bet, though, I think it's safe <laughs> to assume. That if you got travel orders to leave a war zone, you would not let those out of your sight for five seconds, right? Like, you, like Leo, how much of a yutz are you that you would not know they're gone five seconds after they're gone? Because to me, that is the most valuable thing you're carrying.
1: Well, this and this is the interesting thing about the Leo and BJ, like, dynamic. I mean it seemed like Leo had gotten the better of him with this whole General Fox stuff, but BJ swiped those travel orders as soon as he saw him, basically, mm-hmm. when he took his jacket. So he must have known that Leo was going to pull something like this, mm-hmm. and he needed to have leverage already. So it makes me wonder, like, what kind of stuff was Leo doing in the past that BJ <laughs> knew he had to be prepared for how scummy this guy could be? And it's just... It's, ah, oh, it's, it's crazy to see. And you, I love seeing how much Hawkeye hates this guy now. Like he yeah, calls him yeah. a creep twice and he. Yep. Constantly, he he doesn't want BJ to give the travel orders back or anything. Mm -hmm. He's like, no, 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 don't do it. And I know he's drunk, but like, it's really interesting to see that just the contrast between the kind of friend that BJ had back in his Stanford days. Um, you know, I, I don't know if he's a necessarily a real friend. The fact that he was best man at his wedding is kind of telling. But, um, and and now the friend that he has through Hawkeye that he met, um, you know, in a war zone. It's like. I just, I, I can't imagine BJ going back home and, you know, if he is hanging around with those, those old friends who are like Leo, like Hawkeye is, he's the exemplary model of a friend. That's the kind of friend that everyone wants. So it's just, it's fascinating to see. Sorry, I went off on a tangent there.
0: No, 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 no. I, I totally agree. You get the sense that um back in Mill Valley, when, when Leo shows up, Peg is rolling her eyes a lot.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. She's finding something else to do for the yeah. day. I got to so.
0: take, I got to take Aaron to the doctor. I got to take yeah. Aaron to the park. Like uh, you and, you and Leo. Well, I think we've all had friends like that where we've met, we've had a friend and then you've met one of their friends and you're like, really? Yeah.
1: Really?
0: Like <laughs> that guy? <laughs> that guy? Really? Uh, yeah. And you're right. Hawkeye does actually, uh, kind of reveal that he's genuinely doesn't like Leo because at one point when they offer him the Jeep, and Leo says, "I don't know how to thank you guys." And Hawkeye just says, "I do blow." And yeah. you know, like it. And he puts just enough spin on it where you're like, "Yeah, they're really not. This isn't funny." And like the Hawkeye, this isn't funny anymore. So it's like, "Yeah, get out, get yeah, out." Yeah, well, you know, I
1: think I think a lot of it stopped being funny to Bj too when you see in the in the scene in post op where he's he's really annoyed that he has to stop treating patients. Yep to deal with this whole thing. Like, he is a doctor. He's a good person. BJ cares about his patients, and this nonsense with Leo is getting in the way of that. So I feel like, you know, you kind of see that. That's the connection that he has with Hawkeye, that they're both two good people who care about being good doctors, and then this, this Leo character just doesn't fit the dynamic at all. He's just,
0: who knows? Yeah, yeah. Um So then uh R- Radar delivers some mail, And uh, BJ is uh, drunk uh, still, but uh, he does find it kind of funny and get maddening at the same time. The bill, and he says it's for damages, for $580. Now, $580 in 1950 money is $7,100 today. And I thought, who is Leo in this hotel room with? The who? I mean, how? (laughs) What did How they much do? Damage? Could you possibly cause to a single hotel room that would incur seven thousand dollars worth of damages in nineteen fifty money? I'm like, what did they, did they like? They rip out the drywall? I mean, what the <coughs> hell did Leo do? For well, there was the smoke from the
1: stakes. Did that like legitimately cause damage or something? Yeah, ruin
0: like ruined that? the wall, I... ruined the paint on the walls or something. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they could That's... be inflating the charges, but still. That's that's an exorbitant amount of money for damages. Uh so yeah. okay. So then finally, uh, you know, Hawkeye's like, well, what are we laughing about? You know, like, well, this isn't funny. You're stuck with this money. By the way, I love that he says, what are we laughing about? Yeah. What, what are you laughing about? What are like he's he's in there with BJ. Like, he's almost like he's got to take on that debt himself as along with BJ, which is again, as you just said, Hawkeye's the best friend to have, you know, because mm-hmm. he's loyal to the to the end. Um, and then BJ says, well, he'll be walking back here about a half hour walking back. I don't get it. And he says, oh, the only thing gassed in that Jeep was us, which is the big laugh line at the end of the scene. And I'm like, can't, can't Leo read a gas gauge? Like what is wrong? <laughs> he doesn't know where his travel papers are. He doesn't know. He, he managed, he somehow managed to get back to the four seven seven without a Jeep to get him out of there. What, a, what, what, what is this guy's deal? Well, also, I don't understand what his
1: role was in Korea. Is he also a doctor? Like, what? I don't think
0: he's a doctor. They never say, it, but I don't get the impression he's a doctor.
1: Yeah. Okay. So he went to Stanford for something else, and I yeah, don't know yeah, what yeah. his grades were like. Clearly, you know, he, yeah, <laughs> he's kind of a, not the sharpest tool in the shed.
0: <laughs> Just like <laughs> I, the you know, the thing about the the, I mean, the Jeep thing is bad enough because again, I've never driven in a. An army Jeep, but I mean, imagine they have gas gauges. You have to know how much gas is in there. And like, you wouldn't get in the Jeep and immediately look at the gas gauge and be like, that's not enough to get me to Kimpo. Like, what are you talking about? But I, I remembered reading an interview. Many, this is, excuse me, well, my doing this tangent, but I remembered reading an interview with a, with an artist, a comic book artist who served in Vietnam. And he told the story about that when you were in Vietnam, at least. When you got your orders, again, maybe this wasn't uh, true of everybody. This was true of him. But he said that when, when he served, when he got his orders, like you were basically, it was incumbent on you to figure out a way to kind of get out of there. Like the army didn't like set it up for you. They weren't like, okay. Be here on this date and a Jeep will take you to the airport and the airport will take you to this and blah, blah, blah. It was like, okay, um, the plane that's going to take you out of Vietnam is leaving, uh, on this day at this time. You better be there. And if not, you're not going home. Like it was wow. to that level. And that's... so that's every time I re, I whenever I read that and I see this episode, I'm like, I would have those travel orders s- stapled to my chest. I would be like, these yeah. are not going anywhere. <laughs> these are the most. This is like the Magna Carta. I'm not getting rid of this thing, but
1: it's, it's kind of also that, that puts it in a new light. I know we know what happens in goodbye, farewell, and a man, but like the Mm -hmm. the whole thing with the travel orders and the urgency there. So that, that puts that in a new context for me, for sure. Yeah, totally.
0: Um, So then we have the button scene where uh, Hawkeye and BJ and Potter are sharing a drink and they do it to uh, BJ and Potter uh, to their wives and Hawkeye <laughs> toast Goldie, the waitress at Barney's Bar and Grill, so <laughs> one of his one of his uh, many many paramours. Margaret then arrives, uh, having been visiting uh, Donald in Tokyo. She's very calm. Uh, she's very happy. And she says, "Oh, you know," and uh, I mean, she's obviously very happy that she got some action as well. Uh, and then she's very relaxed. And she brought a a, a jug of wine. Even Potter even says, "Is that a jug?" And she's, "Thanks for giving me leave," and uh, she hands that off as a as a as a gift to Colonel Potter. And they, she says, "Oh, I got some things to rinse out." And BJ's like, "Would you do my my socks?" And Hawkeye says, "We like, do my underwear." And she's like, oh, some other time, captains." <laughs> and uh, then they cut back to the two of them. We didn't even get a rise out of her. And Hawkeye says, "She's no fun when Donald's relaxed." And bang. That's the end of our episode. So uh, (laughs) a great funny scene to wrap it up in. It's just kind of a goofy thing for Margaret. Like, okay, it all worked out. They spent the whole weekend getting acquainted. And so now, you know, everything's good, (laughs) at least until the next time.
1: I just love the way she comes into that scene. The way that Loretta says... it's so (laughs) funny it's i laugh out loud at that it's just because it's such a contrast to how completely unhinged she is in the rest of the episode totally
0: totally yeah oh yeah i mean i i uh when we were my wife and i were on our, our honeymoon in california we were like we we when we got back, ever since we've been, we, we got back, we, we do that Chris Farley bit from Saturday Night Live where he's like, you remember? And we, we, we start quoting each other, like, cause we think about how much fun we had and how relaxed we were. And now we're back at work. And so we're like, do you remember when we were in California just a couple of months ago? We're like, <laughs> yeah, just, you know, yeah, we, I think we had that same look on our face at that Margaret, just like oh. everything's great. Yeah. We're in California. We're not working. We're just eating a lot and going to the beach and. Look at the nice things. All right. Okay. Uh, just totally blissed out, (laughs) totally blissed out. Totally. So, uh, overall, it's a great episode. Very, very funny. No medical stuff, but you know, it's, it's a great kind of, um, sort of like reverse caper episode where Hawkeye and BJ are wrapped up in the, in the caper and they're not the, they're the victims of it. They're not the perpetrators of it, but it's a very, very funny, funny show. Um, do you have a favorite uh, line or, or joke from the episode?
1: Oh gosh. So I have to go through my notes to get the exact, uh, the lines of it. Cause it's just, Oh, sorry. One <laughs> second. <laughs> Take your time. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we did kind of touch on it. So the, uh, it was, it's mentioned twice, the company sock wash bit. <laughs> so initially <laughs> it, it's Hawkeye explaining to, uh, to Potter what, you know, why BJ couldn't have been away. He said, we were having a company sock wash. Who was there? The dirty sock crab. <laughs> <laughs> but like you say later, it was he never left camp. We had a company sock wash that night. Colonel, did you witness this company sock wash? It was for the younger crowd. <laughs> what is this company sock wash? I love it. I'm obsessed with it.
0: I'm like, is, it, is that code for something? Is there something else going on? Like the, the fact that when he says the dirty sock crab, that gives it yeah. just an ever so slightly like, was there. I don't know. Was is this again? Is this was it code something risque? Something? Yeah. What like what what was that about? So yeah, I love that's just and the way that Hawkeye Arnold delivers it. The way just the dirty sock crowd like it's just kind yeah. of like, like obvious. Like that's. I
1: that's like to think awful. that it's probably you know it, it's it's meant to sound risque, but the idea that it is really just a company sock wash and it's just totally innocuous that makes me laugh even more.
0: Yeah, we know that there was no no Mulcahy, no Winchester. And no radar, certainly. But maybe, yeah. <laughs> you know, the nurses and and the Zale, maybe, or something like that. The dirty soccer. Yeah. We we'll never know. It's an episode we yeah. never saw. It's, so, one uh... of those,
1: it's one of those things that comes up a lot throughout MASH. Is they reference socks constantly, especially in terms of BJ. I guess because mm-hmm. like. Mike Farrell has big feet. Mm-hmm. So like they constantly refer to socks over and over. And that's one of the many sock references that makes me laugh a lot.
0: <laughs> the dirty sock crap. Uh, yeah. I, there was a bunch of funny ones. The One of the lines that I didn't quote in specific because I wanted to quote it here is at the very beginning where uh, Radar is doing the ABCD as he's going through the files <laughs> and he notices that things are out of alphabetical order. And he says to Potter, "Who? Somebody filed, you know, like H before G." And Colonel Potter's like, "I did," and and Radar annoyed. It's like, "Why?" And and Colonel Potter just goes, "I lost my head in the heat of battle," and I just <laughs> that. I've used that line years. Every time it's just I make some minor mistake. Why did you do that? I lost my head in the heat of battle. Like you just like I don't know. I made a mistake, right? what do you want me to? Bring? <laughs> just...
1: That was that was one of the first things I wrote down too cuz that line also delighted me to no
0: end. <laughs> very very funny. I just so... again I love the insight of these two their working relationship. Yeah. Know, when no one else is around, this is what they do. They yeah. sit there and file stuff, and just the way that Potter's like, ah, I lost my head in the heat of battle. Like, Le- leave me alone, man. <laughs> like, <yeah, I> <laughs> a lot of things on my mind. So, but yeah, it's a it's a real terrific episode. It's really funny. I, I you know I don't know where Winchester would have even fit into this if they did put him in. But it, again, it's strange that they would omit him so early in the season. But you know.
1: Well, it's interesting because this is not, like you say, this is not the only episode that MASH does that focuses on practical jokes and, like, pranks and things like that. And Winchester factors into a lot of them in the later seasons. So, like, this would have been a – it would have been maybe interesting to have him also kind of involved. But maybe that's just too many characters uh, involved in one plot line. Maybe that would have been part of the problem. I don't know.
0: Have Leo – have him there in the swamp. And Leo gives him the joy buzzer bit and Winchester is offended and walks out. Like just that. Like just something, yeah. you know? Because he would hate Leo probably even more than Hawkeye oh. because he would just not find all of his jokes funny and all that joy buzzers and just, you know, it's very juvenile kind of stuff. So you can yeah, see you can already guess Winchester's reaction to that.
1: Yeah. Winchester is a guy who who definitely appreciates a classy prank,
0: so yeah absolutely so well Lisa uh, thank you so much for for doing this thank you so much for reaching out and and wanting to be on season six I cannot say enough about about mash player it's just they are just an absolutely wonderful bunch of people and they have been also so sweet to me uh, despite me being just completely clueless again how to navigate this this website Uh, but but it's really it's really great because as I said at the top of the show mash I want it to continue I want multiple generations to enjoy this and i'm glad that to see that there are people that 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 are of that age and are and are enjoying it and you know and in a completely different way completely absent the context that i grew up with it with and it's just terrific Mm -hmm. and so thank you so much for doing this i really appreciate it
1: Well, thank you for having me. And I will say that I think Mashblur really loves Mashcast because this, the show is, it's, it's really positive. It's, it's all about the excitement and the enthusiasm of watching the show and, you know, watching it. Like I, you can watch it for the first time while listening to the episodes. That's what I did on my second rewatch of the entire series. I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to Mashcast alongside with the each episode. So. I think that's that's part of the appeal and it's just like I say really nice to share the enthusiasm with fellow fans and and also get insight that a lot of the younger uh people wouldn't necessarily have cuz we didn't watch it for the first time when it aired so to hear like fun facts behind the scenes all that stuff is really cool.
0: Well, excellent. Well again, thank you thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Um is there any place online people can find you if you if you uh, want to if they want to search you out?
1: So yeah, I'm on Mashblur, Tumblr. Um, my, my username is pomegranate, just the word pomegranate. I got in there really early and I guess that wasn't taken. Um, so you can find me on Tumblr there. Um, I'm on Twitter for the time being. I am Zaphod the BB. Um, that's the character from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Zaphod. <laughs> yeah. So you can find me there. And also if you're listening and you're, you're like, uh, a, a, a Mash fan who is queer or you want to talk with other Um, queer mash fans, you can look up the mash holes discord. Um, it's, uh, it's relatively new and me and Helen mash brain rot, who is uh, my, my co-mod. We're, we're trying to get things more set up because we do occasionally we'll do live watches and things like that where we'll all watch the episodes and talk about it at the same
0: time. Oh, that's fun.
1: Yeah, so we're, we're trying to still get that going. It's a really small group right now, but if anyone's interested, um, you can find that probably linked on Tumblr. So yeah.
0: Very cool. I'm on Discord. I will have to check that out. Uh that that that's really neat. So again, thank you so much for doing it. I really had a, a great time talking to you and, and uh it's just great. I just I've been one of the most exciting parts of doing season six was knowing I was gonna get to have some of the MASH player people on. So I'm so <laughs> glad we got a, a chance to do this so, again. Thank you so much. And of course, everybody, thank you for listening. You could find all the back episodes of the show on our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You could subscribe to Mashcast on any podcatcher of your choice. We're always talking MASH over on Twitter at MASH477CAST. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, please go to patreon.com slash FW Podcast, And there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So a big salute to Daniel Ulrich, Nicholas Prom, Russell Burbich, Stan Peel, Mike Thomas, Michael Porter, Joe Perino, Billy Shulman, Dennis Bailey, Kara Kay, Tim English, Adam Ackerman, Lisa, a.k.a. <laughs> Zafot. <laughs> Laura Braun, Stefan Van Skyke, and David Mann. I really, really appreciate it. It's a long list, and I love it. So uh, that's going to do it. Uh, We will see you in two weeks. We'll be back for the next episode of MASHCast. But until then, that is all.
1: It's important for Donald's morale and personal well-being. You see, Donald is a man, and you know how men are. Well, you've been away from Mrs. Potter a long time. Surely you must feel... Yearnings?
0: Yeah, she does make a hell
1: of a raisin cupcake. You've forgotten what it's like to be young! Listen, Missy,
0: I don't take those cold showers just because I'm dirty.